0: Amen. We'll continue in our series, Free at Last, from Exodus. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. I'm actually going to read this morning a pretty lengthy passage through uh, verse 12 of chapter 6. So uh, listen to the word of the Lord as it is read. Afterward, Moses and Aaron "'Went and said to Pharaoh, "'Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "'Let my people go, that they may hold a fast to me in the wilderness.' "'But Pharaoh said, "'Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? "'I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go.' "'Then they said, "'The God of the Hebrews has met with us. "'Please let us go a three-day's journey into the wilderness, "'that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, "'lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword.'" they made in the past, you shall impose on them, you shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw, go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily, uh, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And they were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are Idol, that is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into a land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. This is the word of God. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. As we always do. As we all sit under the authority of your word, we need you to speak to us. We need you to do that work in us by the power of your Spirit, through your Word. We need to be transformed. We need to be renewed. We need to be changed. So we pray. Do that work today, Lord, in the name of Jesus and for his sake we pray. Amen. At the end of his I Have a Dream speech, Martin Luther King Jr. envisions a world in which a united human community across all its divisions will be able to join— and singing the refrain of an African-American spiritual, free at last. And that powerful preacher voice, he bellows, free at last, free at last. Thank God almighty, I'm free at last. It's a powerful moment, not only because of the situation, the ongoing battle for racial equality in this nation, or even the occasion itself. Hundreds of thousands of people gathered together to show their solidarity with the cause of racial equality. It's a powerful moment in my mind because of where Martin Luther King located the accomplishment of that freedom that he bellowed in those closing words from that African-American spiritual. Free at last, free at last, thank God almighty, I'm free at last. Thank God almighty, I'm free at last. Thank not America, thank not the politicians, thank not the people, thank God Almighty, I am free at last. When Moses and Aaron walked into Pharaoh's court to announce to him the word of the Lord to let Israel go that they might worship him, they were setting in motion a conflict that would answer a fundamental question, a question not asked by Moses or Aaron, but by Pharaoh. Yes, the controlling question, the controlling question of this narrative is not asked by a believer, but an unbeliever. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Who is the Lord? And this question is not simply a question of identity. Yes, it is true that Pharaoh would not have known the name Yahweh. Even the people of Israel themselves had only recently been acquainted with God by this name, a point that God makes later in chapter 6 verse 3. And so, yes, in one sense, it is Yahweh's identity that Pharaoh is calling into question. He has never heard of this Yahweh. Is he a king? And if so, of what kingdom? Yet in Pharaoh's question, in Pharaoh's question, it's not just a confusion regarding identity, it's a challenge regarding authority. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who who, who is the Lord that I should do what he says? Who who is the Lord that he has the right to, to, to make any requests of me? You see, it's not just his identity, but his authority that Pharaoh is calling into question, and it's not just his authority in general that he is questioning, though he, this is certainly applied in the question, but, but it's, it's his specific authority to determine and to demand Israel's freedom that Pharaoh is calling into question. Who is Yahweh? Who is the Lord that he can dictate to me the terms of Israel's freedom? Who, who is Yahweh? that he can remove Israel from being my slaves? Who is, who is this Lord that he can override my decree that these Israelites remain oppressed, second-class citizens in my regime? And the, and the story in front of us, uh, the narrative in the, in the next several chapters will actually answer that question. And the refrain, the refrain in that answer will be two Hebrew words translated by three English words. I am Mm -hmm. Yahweh. (laughs) While it's true that God's name is tied to his people in a special way, his actions will dictate that he is not only the Lord over their lives, not only the Lord over the lives of his people, but the Lord over all the lives of the peoples of this earth. Therefore, it is God, who determines what freedom is, and who delivers on the promise of freedom to all who cry out to him. And through his relationship with Israel, he will show us what freedom looks like, and he begins here in his command to Pharaoh through Moses, let my people go that they may hold a fast to me in the wilderness. In essence, let them go that they may worship me. In other words, Pharaoh, my, 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 my people were not created to serve you, they were created to worship me. And if you continue, if you continue, Pharaoh, to stand in the way of their ability to do so through your oppressive and cruel regime, if you continue through your corrupt and corrupting policies to obstruct their ability to freely follow my commands, you will not answer to them, you will answer to me. And isn't, isn't, isn't that actually the ground of our salvation? That, that, that is God's commitment to confront the oppressive powers over our lives and to say, let them go. Isn't, isn't, this, not, isn't this not only what God declared to Pharaoh, but what he, is also, what he also declared to sin and death when He gave up His Son for us all, declaring, oh, death, where is your Victory, oh, grave, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. No, the powers of this world, brothers and sisters, don't determine nor deliver on our freedom. God Almighty does. That's why the slaves could sing, free at last, free at last. Thank God almighty, I am free at last. So as we look at this story, we will see how that freedom comes, and we'll learn together what God's people learned through their experience all those centuries ago. So how does, how does this freedom come to us? Let me, let me lay out three things for you this morning. I'll try not to be in front of you long. The Lord's freedom, the Lord's freedom comes in the midst of opposition. The Lord's freedom comes in the midst of opposition. It seems clear from from Moses' response to God in his prayer in in verses 22 and 23 that he and Aaron had not anticipated Pharaoh's response, which is detailed in verses 4 through 18, uh, to their announcement to him of, of the Lord's command to let Israel go. They expected Pharaoh to be stubborn, a point reinforced to them by God in chapter 3 and chapter 4. But they did not expect, it seems, his stubbornness to result in even harsher oppression for his people. They, they, they seemed to believe uh, that God's freedom would follow fairly quickly upon their announcement to Pharaoh. Yet, yet, by the time we get to verse 22 and 23, some significant time actually has elapsed, at least enough for Pharaoh's harsh oppression to have been experienced to the point where the foremen, those Israelite slaves who were in charge of making sure that they and the others fulfilled their quotas, uh, had to seek audience with Pharaoh. By this time, the increased workload, the beatings, the unrelenting demands of the taskmasters, the Egyptian equivalent of the slave drivers in this country's history, uh, it had reached its unbearable zenith. The people simply felt that they, could, they couldn't take it anymore and, and would surely die under the weight of the oppression. So now Moses, seeing all this, could, could no longer bear it. And so he turned to the Lord to express a similar feeling of that of Jeremiah in his day when he cries out to God, Oh Lord, you have deceived me. <laughs> and I was deceived. You are, strong, you, you are stronger than I and, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day everyone mocks me. Of course, neither uh, the, the, the later prophet nor uh, the prophet Moses are accusing God of wrongdoing. Rather, they, they, they're coming to grips with the fact that their expectations of the unfolding of God's plan does not match up with the actual unfolding of that plan. We'll say that again. Their expectations of the unfolding of God's plan are not matching up with the actual unfolding of that plan. They expected opposition. They just didn't spe- expect the level of opposition that they encountered. And isn't the same true for us at times as we look for the unfolding of God's salvation plan in our lives? We, we know there will be trial. We, we know there will be hardship. We know there will be difficulty, we're, we're just not prepared at times for the level of that trial, for the level of the hardship, for the level of the difficulty. And to some degree, I think, the the, the American dream has insulated us from the expectation that these kinds of seasons of trial are going to be a part of the outworking of God's freedom in the world. What what I'm saying is we've grown so comfortable with being comfortable. That when hardship and trial and difficulty come, we don't really know what to do with it because that ain't really our thing. In his commentary, Douglas Stewart reminds us of a truth we need to hear. He says, God's timing only sometimes coincides with our expectations. And his idea of the hardships we need to go through only sometimes coincides with our idea of how much we can take. And and earlier in his commentary, he says this, God's people must not assume that carrying out his commands will increase their own comfort. Opposition, brothers and sisters, is a certainty. And seasons of strong opposition are also a certainty what you and I must come to realize is that these seasons of increased opposition are not a sign to give up on the calling of God in our lives. They they are not an indication of a need to throw in the towel on God's purposes in our lives. Rather, they are an indication of the unfolding plan of God's salvation in our lives. They are an indication that evil is filling the force of that unfolding plan. The only thing evil knows how to do when God is working is to double down on its oppressive force. (laughs) But our God's plans for our lives are not thwarted through the actions of evil, but accomplished through them. What the oppressive forces in our lives mean for evil, God turns toward our good. Look no further than Jesus for proof of it. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And your life and my life is bound up in that same Jesus such that Paul can say to us in our hardships, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The point is not that you will not feel overwhelmed. The point is that God himself will not let you be overwhelmed. I'm going to say it again. It's not that you won't feel overwhelmed. It's that God himself will not let you be overwhelmed. You haven't made it this far in life because of the resiliency of the human spirit. Human beings can't bear up under the weight of suffering through our own inner resources. It is Jesus propping you up on every leaning side. That is the reason that you have not fallen out. The reason you have not lost your mind is because Jesus is holding your mind together. The reason you have not quit is not because you are so strong and not because you are so faithful and not because you are so good, is because the Spirit of God has been placed on the inside of you to enable you to endure things that you would not be able to endure were it not for God on your side. Jesus who kept you from stumbling. Y'all know I pray that benediction at the end, right? I say, now to him who is able to what? Keep you from falling. Keep you from stumbling. And to present you faultless before his glorious presence with exceeding joy. That ain't you, that's God that keeps you from falling apart. And the call here is to not look at our circumstances and see them as an indication that God wants us to quit. To not look at our circumstances and think it's time to throw in the towel. And I'm not talking about changes to our temporal circumstances. Indeed, there may be wisdom in changing your temporal circumstances if you're able. Rather, I'm speaking to that temptation to look at our circumstances and decide we are done with the church. We are done with the ministry of announcing God's salvation in the world, we are done with the Lord himself. There are some seasons of trial, if we're honest, where we feel this more intense desire to quit. Can I get an amen? To give it all up. And certainly, our spiritual and even our earthly enemies would be delighted for us to do so. Satan, Satan, and Pharaoh would have reveled in Moses and Aaron and the elders quitting if they had. And we can see in Moses' response, and then the people's response later, this wrestle to believe God and to stay engaged. And this story, I believe, is being told to us so we, when we find ourselves in these seasons of intense trial, and by the way, this is what I love about the Bible, it actually tells you how bad it can get so that you will see not only how bad it can get, but you can see God's faithfulness in the midst of that. Amen, people of God. So where do you feel that intense temptation today? Let God's Word encourage you. Opposition will come, and sometimes intense opposition, but this is not an indication to give up. It's an indication that God is working and unfolding His plan of salvation in your life. Amen, people of God. The Lord's freedom comes in the midst of opposition. It comes, the Lord's freedom comes through divine force, yeah, yeah. through divine force. I alluded to this in the intro, but let me, let me flesh it out in this point. The conflict in this narrative is not between Moses and Pharaoh. That's right. the, the conflict in this narrative, this entire narrative of Exodus, is not between Moses and Pharaoh. It's also not between Pharaoh and Israel or between Egypt and Israel. It's not even as we discover in a later chapter between Egypt's musicians, magicians and Moses. The conflict, the battle, if you will, is between the false gods of Egypt on whom Pharaoh is basing his own authority and God. The conflict is between those false gods and the empire that has been developed on the backs of the false claims created around those gods and the kingdom that belongs to God, and to which He is calling all those who look to Him for salvation. It's a conflict between the view of the world, exemplified in the concrete acts of oppression by Pharaoh toward the people of Israel, and the view of the world, which is given to us by the Lord, which is exemplified in His concrete acts of salvation. And Because of this conflict, brothers and sisters, is one between the false gods of this world and the false narratives that are built around them as they are exemplified in the concrete acts of sin and oppression and injustice and evil by individuals and groups of people and nations. Because the conflict is between that and between the God of all the earth and his salvation, which has come in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the power for freedom has to come through divine force. The the power of freedom has to come through divine force. Don't mishear me. Moses has got to stand in front of Pharaoh, and he's got to proclaim to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord. Daniel has got to stand in front of Nebuchadnezzar and his administration and proclaim, thus saith the Lord. Jonah has got to go to Nineveh and proclaim to that city, and its king, thus saith the Lord. The apostles have got to stand in front of the Sanhedrin and before the rulers of Rome and declare, thus saith the Lord. And all of God's people, past and present and future, are drawn into this same calling, to stand before people small and great and declare, thus saith the Lord. Yet the accomplishment of God's salvation the victory of his freedom in his people's lives individually, as well as the victory of his freedom in the historical circumstances of oppression and injustice in this world are not the work of human power. They are the work of God. They are the work of God. Work of God. Salvation comes when God rises up and says, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with the strong hand he will drive them out of his land, Exodus 6.1. How do I know that sin and death will not be d- victorious in my life or in the lives of any of God's people? How do I know that ethnic hatred of all kinds will not prevail over the church or in the world? How do I know that abuse will not only uh, continue to be exposed but addressed by God in the church and in the world? How do I have hope of anything like what God promises in the scriptures of a world where righteousness reigns. It is not because I believe in the power of human beings, but rather in the power of God to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So I embrace, I embrace the calling to be an ambassador for God in this world, announcing the freedom that comes through relationship with Jesus Christ in every area of life, not looking only to what my hands can do, but what God Himself has done and will continue to do by the force of His own might. If I had to rely on my might, or if I had to rely on yours, or that of another human being, all of us would be in trouble. This is because, if we're honest, just like Moses, we look at our own ministry labors and see the lack of success in bringing about the desired fruit of that labor, and we think God's plan has failed. And God has to lovingly pull us aside in our prayers and declare I'm not counting on you for the results. Those are in my hands. I'll make Pharaoh obey my commands. Your job, announce my commands. Show up in the places where injustice is prevailing and announce my commands, the word and deed, and I'll break the power of Pharaoh. But Jesus, I got a sword. On, yeah. And I can cut the guard's ear off. Come on, come on. And I can defend you. And I can help your way of salvation be inaugurated. I got a sword. And I know how to use it. Come on. Peter, put up your sword, bro. Yeah. If I needed security guards, I'd call for a legion of angels. Put your sword in your sheath. We're not doing it that way. God has got this. You have to be ready when I'm gone to declare my word to everyone and in every place that I send you. This is not coming through your power, but through mine. Amen, people of God. Amen. So you know my encouragement to you today? People of God, put down your swords. Amen. People of God, put down your swords. That's right. Put down the violent thoughts. Put down the violent speech. Put down the violent acts that you think are going to further God's salvation in your life or in the world. Salvation comes through divine power. Amen. Our force then is the force of the proclamation of the truth of God and of His Word in word and deed. It is saying and doing those things that God tells us to say and do in His Word. Our swords are not going to get the job done. It is only the power of God at work through His Word, spoken and lived out in every arena of our lives that will prove effective in doing battle with the enemies of God's good in this world. This is why we're taught in the Lord's prayer to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this way because we recognize that we need God's power to be at work to advance his kingdom in the world, not just our actions. When we believe this, it actually enables us to endure even when our labors aren't bearing the fruit in the immediate moment that we expected them to. Moses wanted liberty now. But God had to teach Moses that it was not going to come in his time and in his way or through his power, but in God's time, in his way, and through his power. It's a lesson that all of us need to keep learning, because I imagine that like Moses, we have been ready for God to do something now as a result of our work and being disappointed in that now not coming to fruition yet God, as He showed Moses, is committed to setting people free and to working His salvation in people's lives and in the world. Amen, people of God. The Lord's freedom comes in the midst of opposition. It comes through the power of divine force, but it also comes through covenant faithfulness. And we've talked about covenant faithfulness before as it relates to this narrative in Exodus. I said at the beginning of, uh, of this sermon series that the Exodus story doesn't actually begin with oppression and slavery. It begins with God's covenant with His people. The people who find themselves enduring oppression and slavery are, are those whom God has covenanted to be their God and they His people. But don't misunderstand, don't misunderstand that covenant relationship to be for Israel alone, for God has covenanted with them to be a people through whom He declares His salvation to the nations of the earth, that His salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. So God isn't just concerned about the oppressed of Israel, but about the oppressed of the earth, those harassed by sin and death and all the concrete expressions of sin and death that manifest themselves in people's lives and in the world at large. But there's a nuance to God's faithfulness to his covenant promises that I wanna draw out for us from this text this morning. God declares himself in verses two through eight of chapter six as as the God who has made uh, these promises, all these promises to Israel. The the God who has revealed himself to them by his covenant name, a, a name representing not just his power but his intimate relationship with his people. He, he has promised to give them a land of rest and renewal. He, he has promised to bring them out of slavery in Egypt. He's promised to fulfill all his promises made to their forefathers and ours, by the way, if our faith is in Jesus. So, so God tells Moses to carry this message back to the Israelites, to remind them of his commitment to, to follow through, to be faithful to his promises. But, but when Moses goes, he, he encounters a problem. In verse 9, we read, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And so, so looking at this this response, we we would have to ask if if God knew this would be his people's response, why did he send Moses to to proclaim to them his commitment to be faithful to his covenant promises? God knew that, that Pharaoh would not believe. Didn't he know his people? crushed by, 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 by the oppression of Egypt, would experience this, this same season of doubt? So, so why, send, why send Moses to a people that, that, that God knew would be so discouraged that they would not listen to what Moses had to say? The, the answer, the answer to that question, brothers and sisters, is this. God's covenant faithfulness does not ultimately depend on the quality or the quantity of our faith. His faithfulness is actually rooted in His own character as God. God is faithful because God is faithful. When God makes promises, He follows through on those promises. God does what He says He will do. And he knows, he knows, he knows that his his people crushed in in, in spirit by by the oppression, by the violence, by by the injustice in the world, and by by the depth of their own sin will will have seasons where where their faith will be strong and, and seasons where their faith will be weak. This is why when God made the covenant to Abraham, he did not seal the covenant on the basis of Abraham's faith, but on the basis of his own faithfulness. In that time, one of the, one of the ways a the covenant was, what was sealed was by splitting animals in two and then having each party walk through the midst of the slain animals as if to say, let, let what happened to these creatures happen to me if I do not fulfill my end of the market. But, but, but in the covenant sealing ceremony with Abraham, it, it didn't happen that way. Instead, God put Abraham to sleep. And when the, when the moment of sealing came, God himself, through a visible representation of his presence, walked through the midst of the slain animals by himself as if to say, I have established and will fulfill the terms of this covenant on the basis of my own faithfulness. And, and if you think your salvation is rooted in anything else but that same faithfulness, then think again. For Paul proclaims, while we were still weak, While while, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. In in other words, while we were asleep. I wish I had a witness. Of that. While, while, we were, while we were asleep in our sins, while, while, we, while we were asleep in our rebellion, while we were asleep in our, in, in, in our rebellion against God, God yet again established and sealed His covenant, not on the basis of our faith, but on the basis of His faithfulness. Don't mishear me. Participation in that covenant comes through faith in Jesus as Lord, but the establishment and fulfillment rests on the shoulders of God. So why send Moses to tell a despondent people that God would be faithful to his promises? He did it so so that when the promise was fulfilled, the people would be able to look back and know that it was not their faithfulness, but the faithfulness of God that carried them through. Some of y'all, some of y'all in the house can look back at your own story and you can see times when your faith was strong and times where your faith was weak. You can see times where your, where your faith waxed and times where your faith waned. You, you can see times where, where you believed God and you can see times where you doubted God. Can I tell you that God did not base His salvation on knowing whether or not your faith was going to be strong. He based His salvation on His own covenant faithfulness so that whether your faith waxes or wanes, God still has you. God wanted his people to be able to look back and declare with that future throng of believers from among all the nations, salvation belongs to our God and to he who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The call, brothers and sisters, is not to put our faith in our own faith, but rather to put our faith in God. Jesus speaks of the faith the size of mustard seeds moving mountains. Why? It's because the mountain doesn't move because of our faith. It doesn't move because our faith is big, but because the God in whom we put our faith is bigger than the mountain. We rely, we rely not on our faithfulness, therefore, but on the faithfulness of God, who is bigger than all our circumstances. And who has proven his faithfulness to our salvation through sending his son to deliver us from our greatest enemies, sin and death. How then, how then, if this God delivered us from our greatest enemies, how then will this God not also deliver us from the concrete expressions of all those enemies in this life and in the life to come? Brothers and sisters, what I'm I'm saying to you this morning is trusting God's faithfulness. Not in your own, not in some other human being. Trust in the faithfulness of God. Trust God to carry through on his promises. God is not a man that he should lie. You've seen his faithfulness in your own life if you're a Christian, amen? Trust that faithfulness to remain steadfast, because it will. And when you are doubting, and you will doubt, because there will come seasons of trial that will test your faith, that will have you shrinking back. When you go through those seasons, please know that God will not look at your doubts and your fears and turn his back on you he will keep his promises. Amen, Amen, people of God. Our God is the God of freedom. He is the God who confronts the oppressive power of sin and death and all the concrete expressions of those enemies in our lives and in this world. And through Jesus, he has defeated these enemies, and he's called us out into the world to proclaim that freedom. And how does it come? Well, it comes in the midst of opposition. It comes through divine force And it comes through God's covenant faithfulness. It comes in Jesus who empowers us through the opposition. It comes in Jesus who has conquered sin and death through the force of his sacrifice on our behalf. It comes through Jesus who is the ultimate expression, who is the ultimate expression of God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. What else can you do in the face of that but worship God? What else can you do in the face of this great salvation that God himself has established and God himself has won for you? What else can you do but praise God, the God who saw you in all of the oppressiveness of sin and death in your life and said, let him go. Let her go. I'll just tell you. If you don't worship them, the rocks will. Back in the old days, the preacher would look up at the lights and say, amen, lights. If you don't worship them, creation will. <laughs> Amen, people of God. Amen.